Good evening. It is so good to see each of you. If you're a guest tonight, again, we welcome you. You probably can tell that most of the time my wife Tracy dresses me. And you can probably tell that tonight Wayne Miller dressed me. I kind of like it better when Tracy dresses me. Hey, as, as we begin in just a moment studying the marvelous plan of, of God's eternal redemption, we've just sung about it. The, the song we just sang really is an outline of Acts the second chapter and it's a beautiful story of Christ coming to this earth and living and dying and Christ and or God resurrecting him and ascending and reigning on high and we sing praise to him because he is on high and we live our life allowing him to be the Lord and Christ of our life, the Messiah, the magnified one uh, because that's who he is and, and so that's really the outline. If you, if you want to be turning to Acts the second chapter, we'll be studying that for a few minutes this evening. I do want to remind you to continue praying for Sasha. He is our missionary in Ukraine that uh, we have worked with him uh, for about a decade now. And he was in a fire. Uh, His house caught on fire and it he had injuries and, and then personal property loss. And he's in a hospital. They, they believe he's going to be okay. But you know that any kind of burn injuries are very painful. And just be praying for him and pray for a full recovery. And uh, we love and appreciate them. And they've done a good work uh, there in Ukraine and, and in very, very difficult environment. Also, if you were not here this morning, uh, if you are on the end of a pew, you may want to pass down maybe for someone in your pew. We have one word books that uh, are available and this is going to be our theme for next year. And so it's each week we will be studying one word from the Holy Word of God and then everybody that participates will have a daily devotion from Monday through Friday that will study deeper that very same word. And so we, we look forward to the time of growing in knowledge together and in studying to encourage each other, to, to allow iron to sharpen iron. And uh, we look forward to this study. Also as a sidebar, but yet very important, I'd like to say a huge thanks to so many men that volunteered over the last two to three weeks. Uh, there have been around 10 to 12,000 mailed out just in the last 10 uh, just in the last two to three weeks. And a lot of guys came in and, um, and gave a lot of hours to repack boxes and to label them and ship them off. And uh, two that have been working for months is Ron Barnes and Steve Boyd. And we appreciate their just continual efforts uh, for months. And then we would be sorely amiss if we didn't say a huge thank you to Wendy Worley. Uh, she has worked for over a year on this project. Uh, helping organize manuscripts as they come in and making sure that all of them get to the proofreader and then that they all get together. And, and uh, then about the time all of that was done, which was almost a year long process, then she began to organize the orders and make sure that they're shipped out. And, and it is, it's just, it was so much larger than what we ever anticipated. And uh, if we would not have had her to keep all of that straight, I really don't think we'd have been able to pull it off. And so we appreciate uh, her. We have a wonderful office staff. We love working together. Uh, We're we're blessed that we can always lean on each other. And uh, God has blessed us richly in that. And we're thankful for each one uh, that we have the opportunity to work with each day. 
Let's study for a few minutes about the marvelous plan that Peter stood up and he preached about it. If you have your Bible open, you will notice that it is in essence about that eternal plan. And we mentioned to you this morning, I'm just going to show you this outline very quickly. In verse 22, and we'll scan these verses in just a moment in 22 and then move forward. But this morning we, we saw that Verse 22 is about the man that God attested, that God accredited before us. And it's about the incarnation of God becoming flesh and coming to this earth. But then verse 23 is about the marvelous plan. It's a plan of redemption. And then in verse 24 is the marvelous life. And it's the resurrected life, which in essence is an eternal life. If we're resurrected, we are offered by God the opportunity to live for eternity with him. And we also see the marvelous reign and power. You know, there've been a lot of kingdoms that have risen and fallen over the years. But the reason that his reign is so marvelous is because he's never going to have an end to his reign. His kingdom is unshakable. It will stand forever. And all of this is offered as a gift to us. And, and, and hopefully we realize the amazing and marvelous gift that all of this, and, and when we say God's eternal plan, there's an outline from God of what that eternal plan is. And so on this next screen, this is what we studied this morning. Remember in 21 was the end of the quote from Joel, where if you want to be saved, you're going to have to call on the name of the Lord. The problem is they were confused or either refused to believe who the Lord was. And when we say Lord there, we're talking about the Christ, the Messiah. And so in 22, he says, I'll tell you who the man was. And we talked this morning about the fact he didn't hide anything. He came out very bluntly and said, it's the man of Nazareth. The man that you've constantly said was not the Messiah. The man that you didn't like the town he was from. You didn't like the family he was from. You didn't like his humble origin. That's the one. And I've accredited him. And I did it by miracles, by wonders and by signs. And I did it right there in the midst of you. And you know it, if you will just open your eyes and if you'll just open your ears, it will dawn on you that all of this points to Jesus of Nazareth being the Messiah. Well, he's not through preaching. The second point in his lesson is in verse 23. And let's read this tonight. Him, talking about Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. The first half of this verse shows us the side of the cross as we look at it from divinity. In other words, all of this was a plan of God. There's some religious people that believe that Jesus dying on the cross was because God was not able to fulfill his plan initially and that all of this is just type of plan B. Brethren, the first sermon that was preached on the day that the church began removes any doubt of that being true. When he looks at the cross, the first thing, he could have started with the second half of that verse saying, look what wicked hands did, wicked hands. But that's not where he started. The first place he started was by saying, you see the cross? That's the plan of God. That is the determined purpose of God. That word determined right there, in some translations, it is deliberate. In the Greek, it is the same root word that we get the word horizon. 
In other words, when it, it, what this word determined is saying is that there is something that is very firmly set by boundaries. In other words, that choice of words was Peter saying, it's no accident that Jesus died on the cross. You know, it, it wasn't God in heaven or Jesus on earth saying, oh me, look at that. They're going to take the life of Jesus. What are we going to do? You remember in John 10 and verse 17 and 18, Jesus said in 17, I have the power to lay my life down and I have the power to take it back up. Death, resurrection. And then the very next verse he says, no man takes my life, but I give my life. All of this is pointing to the fact that this was a deliberate plan. But then notice after the word and, and foreknowledge of God. Just in case we needed a little more clarity for emphasis sake, this deliberate plan was made far ahead of time. We won't read it right now for time's sake, but you remember Ephesians 1 and 4 speaks of this plan of God saving us and adopting us into his family. And he says that this plan was made before the foundations of the earth was laid. That's how long this plan, when we talk about God's eternal plan, that's how long it had been made. But now on this next slide, we're going to see the very same verse, but notice we highlight the last part of verse 23. The last part of verse 23, instead of seeing the divine side of the cross, we see the human side of the cross. Now notice, and, and there's other translations that might make this a little more clear. And what I mean by that is, I believe that when Peter was speaking here, he very pointedly laid blame at the Jews' hands. That was the audience he was speaking to there, the children of Israel. And he also laid blame at the Gentiles' hands. Here's the way we read it in this translation. You have taken, and I believe he's talking to the Jews there. And then he says, by lawless hands, he's talking to the Gentiles there. Because they took Jesus to the Gentiles to say, you crucify him. The law won't allow us to. And so, in essence, what this one short phrase or two phrases together is saying is that Jew or Gentile, in other words, all mankind is guilty of this. Well, what did we do? We crucified the Lord and we put him to death. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment to the two paths that lead to the cross that's mentioned here in this verse. One path is the path of divinity where the glory and brilliance of God has never been any brighter. When someone says, try to explain to me how much God loves me, there is no glorious description any greater than to say he loves you so much he wants to spend eternity with you. And the only way for him to provide that was that he had to give up his son as the lamb that would be slain so that our sins would be forgiven. Romans, the fifth chapter, speaks of this occasion and says it is a demonstration of God's love. There is a path that leads to the cross that is the glorious brilliance of God's love for us. And yet, leading to the very same point, there is a path leading to the cross that is the darkest, 
horrific day for mankind. The only perfect man that's ever walked the face of this earth and the human race crucified him. The only time God became flesh and came to this earth and we executed him. Our sins have never been so dark and so horrific as that dark path that led to the very same place as God's glory. You remember he died on the cross for the sins of the world. My sin placed Jesus on the cross. My sin lifted the mallet and put the spike through Jesus' hand. Your sin pushed the, the thorn into the brow of Jesus. Our sins caused his back to be scourged. Our sins caused him to struggle for breath and eventually suffocate to death and just before it to cry out, not I'm defeated. He cried out about that brilliant plan to say, it's finished. It was his cry of victory where man thought and probably Satan hoped that Jesus was going to be defeated. And yet that predetermined counsel of God, that foreknowledge of God was leading to the fulfillment of eternal life. Listen to that eternal life being offered to us. But we're not to that point in the sermon. That's the very next verse, and let's look at that. Look at this life that's offered as we go to verse 24. Let's look at verse 24. Whom God raised up, this, the whom of course is Jesus. God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Resurrection is an amazing thought because there's nobody that can give life except God. Just let that sink in. It doesn't matter how brilliant the scientist is. It doesn't matter how capable the surgeon is. It doesn't matter how skilled the nurse is. It doesn't matter how much the loved one loves. No body can give life except the giver of life. Except the one who has power over the grave and can not only speak of resurrection but deliver resurrection. And so when this statement is made with boldness Peter says, yes you crucified him. You put him to death. Whom God raised up and then you could argue directly, indirectly, I don't know which way it would be, but he, he refers to two metaphors here when he says God raised him up. And one is the pain, or the old language, the pangs of death. When you look back in the Greek, it's the same kind of language that deals with women in birthing pain where a woman gives birth and it's so painful, but what comes out of that, those pangs is life. Death 
has such horrific pain. And what it does, even to the survivors, that the writer here, Peter the speaker, chooses to use a description for the word pain that goes back to what a lot of women would say the worst pain I've ever had is that of childbirth. And a lot of men in, in great wisdom would say, I've never had that kind of pain. What kind of pain does death have? You remember John 11, 35, when Jesus went beside the tomb of Lazarus and said, Jesus wept. He knew that he was about to resurrect Lazarus. So why was he weeping? I can't tell you that I know this for sure, but the strong assumption that I think we have to draw is he wasn't weeping for Lazarus because he knew he's about to be resurrected, but he was weeping because of the pain of death. Look what it had done to a, a, two sisters that loved their brother dearly. Look at a Jewish community that had gathered around to share in the grief and to bear the burden of that grief and they were sharing in the customs of that grief. And Jesus is looking at all that death had done. And, and, and if that's not enough ex explanation, remember in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, it tells us that when Jesus comes back again, he's gonna be putting an end to all enemies, but he's saving one enemy back. And he's gonna let this enemy be the last one that he destroys. And the last enemy that he will put to death is death itself. When we have a loved one to die, and we talk about how much it hurts, and we might very well say, I've never gone through anything this horrific. That's what that's talking about. You want to go through some horrific pain. Deal with death. Why is resurrection so beautiful? Because death will lose all of its power. Resurrection is so beautiful because death will not have any pain in it anymore. As strange as this may sound, out of the pain of death, God rips life out of it and will not let pain of death have its way. The second metaphor where he says and should not be held by it, I know it's kind of a stretch, but at the same time, I would argue it's not really a stretch. What does he mean that, that he wouldn't be held by it? Well, back in the old literature, a lot of the time, individuals in the realm of death, it would use metaphors like ropes and snares to hold individuals in death. And then we look at like Luke the 16th chapter. Remember the rich man Lazarus, the rich man died. Remember, he didn't want to stay there. And remember, he was told though that Lazarus can't come to you and you can't leave there. In other words, the ropes of death is going to secure you. The snare of death is going to hold you. And someone says, I don't want that. I don't want the pain of death and I don't want the snare of death. Here's the only answer. The only answer is that God has raised up Jesus and it's through Jesus 
is the only way that we can have life. In Acts the second chapter, skipping down a little more in 32, Peter said, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. A lot of the rest of this chapter, we just skipped over several verses. A lot of it is giving argument to the proof that Jesus resurrected. Because that is a staggering or marvelous thing to believe that there is really power over the grave. In Acts the second chapter in verse 33, we learn that Jesus didn't stay on this earth, but he ascended and in verse 33, being exalted at the right hand of God. And then toward the end of verse 34, I'll read verse 34, for David did not ascend into heaven, but he says to himself, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And then notice the conclusion. Verse 36, therefore, let the house of Israel know assuredly. Now, you remember what what I said to you this morning? That's when Peter is trying to get personal again. Again, it would be just like me saying to you after preaching a sermon and we're about to conclude it. What if I said to you, now Church of Mount Juliet, Out of everything we've talked about, here's what I want you to know without any doubt. So now he has preached this. He says, okay, Israel, I want you to know this assuredly. What is it? That God has made this Jesus, and here's the guilt, whom you crucified, here's the result, both Lord and Christ. It's not enough for Jesus just to remain the man that grew up in Nazareth. The man that, that did some really powerful teaching and a lot of powerful works. If we're gonna get this right, at some point in time, he has to become our Lord and our Christ. We must be a servant and submissive to him, Lord, master, servant. We must recognize that he's the one that receives glory, Messiah. Christ, the glorified one. And that really was the plea of this whole sermon. He's looking at those individuals that 50 days earlier had crucified Jesus and he's saying, are you willing today to allow him to be the Lord and Christ of your life? (laughs) You mean there's a plan? that would allow us guilty of crucifying Jesus to be saved by him, to be redeemed through him? Well, that's why in 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said, Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, there's nothing you can do Losers, you crucified the Messiah. Think about all the things that that you would think would be said. Oh, now you want to come to him. Notice the beauty and the simplicity here. When they, in essence, are saying, is there anything we can do right now? And notice what the answer is. These are the words ultimately going back to Jesus and partially out of the Great Commission. 
repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Yes, you can be forgiven of crucifying Jesus and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a gift. What a gift. You mean to tell me that the guilt of my sin can in part put Christ on the cross and yet he still will redeem me. That is a marvelous plan offered by God. It costs the life of Christ for you and I to be offered the grace of God. Tonight, I want you to think about gifts and what it would be like to stand on the day of judgment and know that the greatest gift by far, there's not a close second, the greatest gift by far that's ever been offered to you and have to say, I rejected that gift. Tonight, let's not any of us leave here rejecting the greatest gift that's ever been offered. If you're ready this evening to obey what was just taught, repent and be baptized. We'd love to assist you with that. Maybe you've begun that journey and you need to be restored and pray forgiveness. We'd love to pray with you and for you. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.